Just a reminder of something that I uh, shared last week. There's a combined church's carol service this evening at 7 at Gateway Baptist, and we're all invited. So I encourage you, if you would like to come along, do that. And then we're not meeting on the 29th. We are here next week, but the following week we aren't here. And so uh, just get that on your calendar, because if you show up, you'll have a good time. You and Jesus. Jesus is everywhere, so that's okay. We're going to uh, pass the offering containers. I always forget that part. It's hiding over under the chair there. I think we need another one. But uh, thank you for your faithfulness in giving. Uh, we have uh, a congregational meeting just afterwards this morning. And so you're welcome to stay around, but you don't have to. There's nothing special happening except that we just like to be up front with what's going on. And uh, so if you're part of this church or if you come here and you'd like to, to come, you're welcome. It's open for anybody. Uh, it'll probably take all of about 10 minutes after we have some coffee and tea. Okay, now... Men's group at uh, Lance's for pool. Not, not swimming in a pool, playing pool. <laughs> I want to know who to send. Great. We're going to dismiss the uh, children and the teachers. Oh, Christmas offering next week. Thank you. Uh, we decided last year that uh, the Sunday before Christmas that all the offering that we have on Sunday will go for blessing some, somebody or helping people in need or something. And so we do a special offering then. Tim will tell you next week, if you normally uh, give directly into the church account, uh, if you don't know that you can do that, you can see that on our website. But if you do that... Uh, anything for the Christmas offering, if you would mark that on there so we know some of you have set up a direct uh, debit for your tithes and offerings. And, uh, but if it's the Christmas offering, just mark it on there. Otherwise, we'll receive it and then whatever we have. Mark it Christmas. Christmas. Oh, man, that's my brain's in. We have uh, just some little uh, notepads here. If you're not on our normal contact list. The reason I say this is that I pray through that each week and I was looking and praying through this week and went, I have pictures in my mind that aren't here. People I'm praying for. So if you're not there, now how do you know you're not there? If you haven't given us your contact details, uh, then you're probably not on our list. Uh, so I don't have a list with me to pass with that. So if you haven't, just include your information. And that would be great. They'll, they will be passed right now. Okay. We need to pray this morning. I am wanting to, uh, to do something today and next week, and it's about an hour and a half sermon that I've cut into two parts. 
And so I'm quite nervous about how to communicate that. I'm quite excited for the whole thing. Thank you. And uh, so I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to pray for me. Now let me give you a hint. Most of you are very polite, and you're going to sit here for the next 30 or 40 minutes, no matter how I preach. So it's in your best interest that you pray right now. <laughs> pray for me, that I communicate well. And uh, just go, go for it right now. Lord, we just thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, you're the one who leads us in truth. Lord, I pray for all of us that our hearts and our minds would be open to what you have to say. We want to see you. We want to see you as you are. We want to be transformed and changed, not just inspired, but we want to become more worshipers of you and more aware of who you really are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Before we get to that, I need to introduce something, and that is that Something that, I'm going to state the obvious, you know, but I want to illustrate it because sometimes we're not aware of what we know, that there is an objective reality, irregardless of what we might think. Some of you think my music stand here is leaning at an angle. It's not straight. It's driving some of you crazy. I think it's straight. What, what makes... You right and me wrong. There is an objective reality. And how do we know? We get something that identifies that. <laughs> no. <laughs> but there, is, there are things that, that tell us what reality is. Okay? You can pretend that wall's not there. You can believe it's not there. And if Jesse were to try and walk through it, try and walk through the wall there, Jesse. <laughs> Jesse could say, I don't believe the wall's there. And you know what? The wall doesn't care. <laughs> it doesn't really care what Jesse believes. There is an objective reality. It's there whether you want to believe it or not. Many of you have never been to Denver, Colorado. I lived there for a while. But you might say, I've never been to Denver. I've never experienced that. I don't actually believe Denver exists. There's no such thing as Denver. In fact, you might even go so far as to redraw the map and wipe Denver out. And you know what the people in Denver think? They could care less. They go through their life. What you believe about Denver doesn't affect them at all. So, the point is, there is an objective reality. In fact, for a couple of thousand years, insanity was defined as losing touch with reality. For those of you who heard differently, insanity was never defined as doing the same thing over and expecting a different result. <laughs> Somebody made that up, which it might be stupid, but losing touch with reality, where we think the things in our brain 
are more important than, than the reality of what exists. I believe there's no wall here. There's a reality. Okay. Put that on the back burner. Save that for later. I hope. Turn your Bibles to Revel uh, sorry, Leviticus, chapter 11. That's the other end from Revelation. I just wanted to see if you would actually find your way. Oh, my. You guys are quick. Who's doing this? Marnie's got it. Okay, I won't keep up today. I want to talk to you about something that's often overlooked, but is the basis for what we're going to talk about next week, which is the love of God and the, the gift that he gave. You don't understand that. You can't comprehend that to its fullness if you don't get this this week. We're going to talk about the holiness of God. Revelation, uh, Revelation, Leviticus. We're going to get to Revelation. It's there. Leviticus uh, 11 and 44 says, I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. It says it again in verse 45. It says it a number of times in the Bible. Leviticus 19 and 2 says the same thing. Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Isaiah 6.3. Isaiah says he sees the Lord. Uh, he gets a, this glimpse of heaven. I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And the Angels were there, and they cried to one another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Revelation 4, 8. Got there. Revelation, it's there. John sees a glimpse of heaven. And he sees the, the four living creatures. And they do not rest day and night saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, Peter, quoting Leviticus, says, repeats, be holy for I am holy. I want to submit to you this morning that the number one characteristic of God in the Bible is holiness. More emphasis on holiness than anything else. We like the idea that of the love of God, and God is love. But there's more emphasis on holiness than there is on the love of God. The angels aren't sitting in heaven saying, loving, loving, loving. Number one characteristic. What does holiness mean? It actually means two things. The word holy means set apart, and it means pure. Set apart, when it refers to God, means a totally different order of being. We sing, who is like you? There's none like you. Too often we get this concept in our mind as almost of, of a column of life. On the bottom there's single cell amoebas, and then there's fish, and then there's mammals, and then there's uh, humans, and then there's angels, and 
God's the, a higher order of being in that column. And what I want to share with you this morning is that that's wrong. God's not in that column at all. He's in a totally separate column. He's set apart. He's not a higher order of being to what we are. He's different. He's uncreated. When we sing, who is like you? What we're saying is you're holy. There's none like you. But not only is he set apart, he's pure. We said when I grew up in the States, there was a TV commercial about a certain soap that was 99 and 44 100% pure. God is not 99 and 44 100% pure. He's absolutely pure. So pure that nothing impure can exist in his presence. He can't be corrupted. You need to get this. He's so pure that he's described in the Bible as a consuming fire. Hebrews 12, 29, our God is a consuming fire. What's he consuming? He's consuming anything that's unpure. He is so pure that when unpureness enters his presence, it's consumed. Exodus 24, verse 7 I'm going to be half teaching and half preaching this morning. I'm just to let you know because when I get excited, I just kind of, and I'm very excited about the Word of God today. Uh, Exodus 24, you guys already have it, and I don't. In verse 17, it says, The sight of the glory of the Lord is like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. The sight of the glory of the Lord is like a consuming fire. Just hang with me for a few minutes. There's a whole lot of other references. If you want to look them up, read Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 12, 24, 36, chapter 5, a whole lot. But not only is God referred to, he's so pure, he's referred to as a consuming fire, but 1 Timothy 6, 16 refers to him as an unapproachable light. Okay, you've got one thing set apart. Now set that apart for right now because we're going to go a different direction and then we're going to pull it all together. We're going to weave these together, I hope. Here's the problem of sin. Sin makes us impure and unrighteous. Sin could not just be ignored or overlooked. When God says, be holy, for I am holy, he's not saying, change your behavior to be like me. He's saying, I'm holy. This is the objective reality. So sin could not be overlooked. God didn't just wave his hand and said, these are not the droids you're looking for. Sin is no big deal. 
I want to submit to you this morning that not only could it not be ignored or overlooked, sin could not just be forgiven. Ah, it's okay. Sin actually had to be removed. 1 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin became sin for us that we could become the righteousness of God. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 103, verse 12. Far as the east is, verse 12, that's two. <laughs> as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Psalm 24, 3 and 4. Who can ascend into the hill of the Lord but he who has clean hands and a pure heart? God is holy. He's always holy. Therefore, sin could not just be ignored. Sin could not just even be forgiven. It had to actually be removed. Because why? Because if we approach him in a sinful state, we will be consumed. Now let me say it this way. Too often we think of God's love and justice as being two pans of a scale. You know a scale when you, you've got something on one side and you put weights on the other side till they balance out. And many of us have this idea that if God is just, he's not loving. And if God is loving, he's not just. And what I want to tell you this morning is that the whole illustration is wrong. God is always just. He doesn't quit being just and holy when he's loving. His love goes beyond justice. So here's the key. When you come to Jesus... and accept his sacrifice, which we'll talk about next week. You're forgiven, but your sin is removed. God doesn't look at you. He doesn't see you through Christ's colored glasses. How many of you have been taught something like that? God see, it's like looking through rose colors. God doesn't see me. He sees Christ. He sees me through the blood of Christ. He doesn't. He sees you righteous. He's not pretending. I'm looking at Josh. Blood of Jesus covers it. I know he's just sinful under there. I know he's terrible, but we're, I'm going to live with this kind of illusion that the blood of Jesus covers it. The blood of Jesus not only covers it, the blood of Jesus removes it. So what does he see when he sees Josh? He sees what he intended when he was made. 
He sees the, the totality of relationship with God that is possible. He sees the totality of everything that he intended in there being restored. We have this theology sometimes that says, I sin daily in thought, word, and deed. We're going to talk about that next, that next week. Rubbish. Sin has been removed, and you've been given not only forgiveness from sin, but freedom from the power of sin. Now, sorry, I told you. <laughs> One day, the Bible talks about the day of the Lord. God's glory will be totally, completely revealed. The curtain will be pulled back. His unapproachable light will shine. His consuming fire. When that happens, three things are going to take place. The first is that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus, we're going to be so overwhelmed by the otherness of God and the glory of God that people aren't going to make a decision for Jesus. They're going to be so overwhelmed that they just fall to their knees and say, yes. Secondly, every creature in heaven, on earth, and under the earth will declare... Blessing, honor, glory, and power. The glory of God will be so overwhelming, the, the, the pureness of God will be so overwhelming that every creature, even the demons, will declare blessing, glory, honor, But the third thing is going to happen. When God's glory is revealed, every unrighteousness will be consumed. To Peter. Chapter 3. From verse 5. I'm saying it slowly so I have time to get there. <laughs> For this they willingly forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out in water and in the water, by which world then was that, it, that then existed Paris being flooded with water. You know the story of the flood. And God says, sends the. Uh, the uh, rainbow, and says he'll never again destroy the world with water. But it goes on and says this, but the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition and of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget that this thing, that that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord, main theme in the Bible, you can read it through the, uh, the prophets, will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt in fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, 
Since all these things will be dissolved, what matter of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. What I want to submit to you this, this morning is that that's referring to this day when God's glory is revealed. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess, every creature will declare, and the glory of God will consume all that's unholy, all that's impure. It's not God gets angry and says, I'm going to wipe this out. It's he's revealing who he is, and the objective reality of the universe is that God is holy. God didn't wake up one day and say, I don't like this. We're going to call it sin. The objective reality is that anything that is not holy will be consumed in his presence when it's revealed. His loving goodness toward us said, I'm going to do everything I can to keep them from being consumed. It doesn't change if we say we don't believe it. It doesn't change if we say, well, that's not sin. See, if you do away with an understanding of who God is, and we try and create God in our own image, we say, oh, no, no, it's just, it's just love. Guy, uh, emerging church guy, doesn't believe in authority of Scripture, wrote a book called Love Wins. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter what you do. It does matter. It matters because there is an objective reality and sin will not exist in the presence of God. Now let me throw a wild thought at you for those of you who are already a step ahead. Consuming fire and eternal beings. How do you put those two together? God made us eternal beings. When his glory is revealed, if we still have unholiness, we don't experience his love, we experience his consuming fire. Let me tell you this. If we don't understand the holiness of God, we reduce the love of God to some mind trick. These are not the droids you're looking for. You can't understand what Christmas is about without understanding the holiness of God. He couldn't just overlook sin. So in his love, what did he do? To see, the problem is, the Bible says every one of us has sinned. Let me tell you, in yourself you will be eternally consumed. And there's nothing you can do about it. I don't believe it, I don't believe it, I don't believe it. Who cares? God's aware of that objective reality and says, 
I have to continue to be holy, but how can I remove this? I can't ignore it, but I can take it on myself and pay the price for it. And that's what Jesus did. When we understand, he who knew no sin became sin for me. Now think about that. He who was eternally pure became the accumulated filth of sin for mankind. I can't even comprehend what that is like. So pure. Jesus draws an unapproachable light. Became sin. Not to appease some angry God, but because without the removing of sin, every one of us will die. Yet in that point, he's separated from God. Through all he went through, the physical suffering, becoming sin, he's silent until God turns his back on him. Why? Because if God didn't, Jesus would have been consumed. There was a separation. How did that hurt God? And Jesus says, my God, you've forsaken me. See, we understand the holiness of God. You can understand the sacrifice. We're going to talk about that next week. But let's never diminish the love and the grace of God to just overlooking sin. God wasn't angry from the standpoint that Lance has done something wrong and, I'm, and he better make up for it or I'm going to smack him. I'm going to send him to hell. No. He was saying the reality of the universe is that he will be consumed when my glory is revealed and I will do everything I can to not let that happen. God doesn't send anyone to hell. He's doing everything he can to stop us. We've got such wrong concepts. Could it be Don't hate me for saying this, because I'm going to throw some of your heresy. Could it be that hell is actually the presence of God for people who are unholy? A consuming fire and an eternal being. Where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee? Everyone's going, uh-oh. 
He's crossed over. <laughs> Do you understand why God expects us to confess our sin and to repent? It's not like, ah, it was no big deal. It was a big deal. And if we're not willing to admit what we did was wrong, how can God extend forgiveness to us and remove our sin from us? And we have this revelation so that we might not sin. But if we do, we have an advocate. Isn't that amazing? I believe there's a whole generation that have had the love of God so dumbed down because they haven't understood the holiness of God that we've given them a license to sin and said it's okay. And every time we do, we are laughing at Jesus' sacrifice for us. Bow your head, will you? <laughs> Sorry. The good news is that God loved us so much, didn't want us to perish, that he became man and took our sin upon himself. We need to be reminded of that. As Kate shared earlier, we get so focused on a baby in a manger. Why did the angels declare, peace on earth, goodwill turn men? Because they were saying, there's a chance for restoration once again. Why when John, when he's in heaven, there's no one to open the scroll, he weeps. You know that there was actually weeping in heaven. He weeps because there's no one to open the scroll. God himself could open the scroll, but if he did, every sin would, would be counted against us. But Jesus opened it, and he removed it all. The handwriting against us, Colossians says, he removed it all, put our names in the Lamb's Book of Life where there is no record. Why? Because the sin was actually removed. When you've accepted Jesus, God doesn't see you as different than you are. He actually has made you different. You're born again. Your sin is removed. And you can come into that intimate relationship with him. We're going to talk about the new covenant next week. Because this paved the way for something even better. Lord, we stand humbled and amazed. We recognize that our conception of you is so limited. You're so much greater, you're so much holier, you're so much purer than we can comprehend. Lord, we want to join with the angels who are declaring around the throne, holy, holy, holy is the Lord.
We're going to do that. We're going to finish this morning with singing an old hymn. I'm going to ask you if you'd stand. And let's just make